right. We have a good, good Father. That is so true, and we're loved by Him. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn. Uh, I know we're in the series. We were in Hebrews, and then we're in a series called Out of Rhythm. But I want you, I want you to open to the book of Hebrews. I just can't seem. I don't know what it is. I can't get away from Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, while you're finding your way there, I'll kind of start out. One of the current candidates who shall remain lame, nameless for the office of president of the United States made famous the statement a few years ago, it takes a village to raise a child. And subsequently she wrote a book and, 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 and different things. I was listening to Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers this week, and, and he astutely observed it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a family to raise a child. And, and he went on to say, it takes faith to make a family. So it takes a family to raise a child, and it takes faith to make a family. And so as we're in this series uh, on Out of Rhythm, how is your family faith? Or, or maybe yet, how is your family's faith this morning? In our series, we've, we've talked about the subject uh, a couple weeks ago, faith. And, and loving God. And then last week we talked about faith and loving your spouse. And today we're going to talk about faith and your family and how it relates to, interacts with the family. In, in our generation, the biblical model of family is marginalized, it is jeopardized, it is compromised, and in many ways it is stigmatized. And yet... The godly biblical family remains the chief cornerstone of a civilized society and should be the centerpiece of an orderly culture. Therefore, the focus of the local church and the focus of our church has got to be, must be, the family and encouraging the family to maintain healthy family Rhythms. Now, uh, if you've not been with us, we've been talking about uh, this idea of being out of rhythm. We started out a few weeks ago talking about arrhythmia, which is the irregular heartbeat. Now, uh, there are any number of causes to having an irregular heartbeat. It could be, it could simply be cardiovascular uh, disease, which is, you know, the, the artery, uh, clogging of the arteries, et cetera, et cetera. It, it could be a change in the heart's structure or the muscle could be valve issues or, or something relating from maybe a heart attack or from some scar tissue or, or myopathy. Uh, it could be, um, hypertension or high blood pressure. Uh, they tell us it could be electrolyte imbalances. And you could kind of go on down the list. There's some other things that can cause an irregular Heartbeat. There's just a number of things that can contribute to it. Well, well, there's certainly a number of things that can cause a family to get out of rhythm. There's just some things that can can affect our, our spiritual rhythm in the context, not simply of the individual life, but also in the family life. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see... Uh, the writer addresses some of those issues, but I, but I want to set this up by, by saying this. This section of Hebrews is focused on how faith confronts the opposition 
and the conflict that believers often face. That's really what the whole book of Hebrews is about, if you'd been with us or had been with us for that series. But I want to, even though we're going to look in, in Hebrews 11, I want to call your attention. Now, this is not going to come up on the screen, so you need to look in your Bible. To chapter 10, I want you to look with me at verse 35. Verse 35 says, um, let's see if I can find my way there. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, but listen to this statement. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. And preserve their souls. Now, I want you to understand, we live in a culture that is in opposition to and in conflict with many of the values, principles, and convictions that you and I as followers of Jesus hold dear. There is a conflict in our culture. There is a tension and an opposition and, and the writer of Hebrews was addressing the same issues for them because there, there was conflict. There was a tension. And there's always going to be a tension between the things of the world and the things of God as it relates to and as is pointed out in Scripture. And so how we handle that uh, is significant. And so what the writer does, having made that statement, is he goes into this great chapter of 11, and he talks about the faith of the followers uh, of Jesus Christ and the followers of God literally from the beginning. And then he kind of goes through, and, we, and we'll look at some of those. But in the middle of that discussion, there's an interesting description of a family, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and the reality is, you and I need to understand this. While the writer knew his audience faced the reproach and affliction that comes with following Jesus, I would submit to you today that increasingly, uh, if you decide that you're going to live for Jesus in the things of God, you're going to be in opposition and conflict with the world. The modern student who chooses to follow Jesus faithfully and outwardly must expect reproach and affliction to some degree or another, whether he's a, he or she's in middle school, high school, or on the college campus. And that same is true for adults in the workplace, in the public environment. The more we decide to live by conviction and follow Jesus, the more we're going to be in opposition and conflict. And the danger is that we might shrink back. And so the writer includes this roll call of faith. Now, we can't get into all of it, but he does point out some things for the family. So look with me in chapter 11. Listen, beginning in verse 23, and just we're going to look at about five or six verses and try to unpack those this morning. Verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures 
of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king or the anger of the king, for he endure, endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Shall we pray together? Father, would you take in these next few moments, would you take your word, the, the, the amazing inspired word of God, would you open it up to us and would you open our hearts up? That we might see in the Word of God what you want us to do as families. How we're to live in, in the tension that comes with living in a world that's in, a, in opposition to and in conflict with uh, the things of God. And so I pray that you would uh, you'd just minister to our hearts this morning. That you would encourage us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. And God, I pray that our hearts would be open uh, to uh, the truth of the Word of God, that you would set our our minds on you and draw us to yourself. And so we commit this time to you, and we'll give you, Lord Jesus, the honor for all you do. And we pray in your awesome and mighty name. Amen. Well, Moses, uh, as we looked at there, and we're going to take those apart in just a minute, but he made some incredible decisions with regard to wealth, in power and prestige. And he made those decisions under immense pressure. I mean, what was it? And I got a couple of questions that I want to kind of think about here on the front end. What enabled Moses to say no to the world and to say yes to God in, in the face of temptation, in the, in the face of what by the world standards was a great opportunity? I mean, he had the, he had the, the world at his disposal. And so, and so what was it? What was it that enabled him to say no to the world and, and yes to God? And maybe a bigger question or maybe the better question is, is do our kids and do our grandkids, do they have in them what Moses had in him? that enabled him to say no to a world that was ripe with temptation and that was ripe with pleasure and that was ripe with the treasures that everybody looks for. And yet he had something in his heart that enabled him to turn his back on the world and say yes to Jesus. And so the question is, what was that? And and whatever it was, do our kids and our grandkids, do we have that. And I think that's a fair question. Well, I'll say this. Moses had a foundation. Moses had something in his spiritual DNA that allowed him uh, to do things uh, that we hope that we'll be able to do and that we pray that our kids and our grandkids will be able to do. I want you to notice a phrase in verse 24. Look down there in your Bibles, verse 24. It says, by faith Moses, now listen to this statement, when he was grown up, Refused when he was grown up. What an interesting, interesting statement that is. And so when he, uh, what, when you look at the other context of scripture, Acts chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 2, what he's talking about there is Moses is about 40 years old. And he, I guess he got to that place at 40 where, where the world was before him. 
We might think it was a midlife crisis because, you know, we think that kind of happens about 40, right? You know, that's when you, you, you know, everybody goes. But listen, this, this wasn't so much as a midlife crisis. This was the opportunity for him to drive a stake in the ground and decide, am I going to live for the world or am I going to follow Jesus? Now, the reality is Moses had something in here. That allowed him to say yes to God. And so what was it and where did it come from? Well, you know the story. Verse 23 summarizes it for us. Uh, and many of us, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw, saw that the child was beautiful and they, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now that's interesting when you, uh, but, but, but you know the story. The, the, uh, a Pharaoh came along that knew not Joseph. And the Israelites were growing by the leaps and bounds. I mean, they were just multiplying. And they said, we got to do something or they're going to take over uh, Egypt. Uh, if our enemy comes in and, and begins to attack us and, and they get the Israelites on their side. So, so we got to, there's too many of them. We got to do something. And so this Pharaoh decided, hey, if you, Hebrews, if you have a baby boy, you got to throw him into the Nile. But if you have a girl, that's fine. And that was kind of the edict. And you remember it talked about how the, you know, the, 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 they wouldn't do it and the midwives wouldn't do it. And you, you, you can read all about that in Exodus too. But the reality was, uh, Amram and Jochebed had this boy child. And the scripture says he was beautiful. In, in our translation, uh, I think the NIV said he was no ordinary child. We don't know what it was because, because here's the thing, um, I'm not, and don't get mad at me, I'm not sure any baby is really beautiful, but everyone, when it's our baby, it's beautiful, right? I mean, I mean, none of us had an ugly baby. Now, other people have ugly babies, not us. Your grandbabies, am I right? Your grandbabies are precious. I mean, they're beautiful. Okay, so, so but there was something else. We don't know if God revealed something to Amram and Jochebed. We don't know if he just put on their heart, but they decided there's something about this baby. And they said, we're not afraid of the king. We're afraid of God in heaven. And they hid that baby till he was old enough to, to, to put him in a little old uh, basket. Uh, Jochebed covered it with pitch and tar and built a, you know, weaved it up real good and put him in and sent him out there on the river. And, and then the sovereign, you don't think God's sovereign? Why under heaven would the daughter of Pharaoh go down to the river to take a bath? You ever thought about that? I mean, the daughter of the king is down at the riverside. And if you've ever been to a country like, I mean, I've been to India. That's not, those rivers aren't the cleanest. Why was she there? Because there was a baby in a basket sitting in the reeds and God had a plan. And so she drew that baby out and of course she said, oh, it's one of the Hebrew babies. And there standing in the, kind of in the background was old Miriam. And she comes up to the daughter and says, uh, hey, would you like me to go call somebody to take care of that baby for you? And the daughter saw, that's a good idea. So she went and got mama. And so mama came, came and got Moses. And not only did she get to raise up her baby, if you, you want to, you don't think God's good. She got paid. <laughs> to raise her own son. 
when it was illegal to have a son. But she got paid to do that. And, and so we don't, and so she raised him up. Exodus 2.10 says, uh, and when the child was older, he was adopted by, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, now I say all that to say this. We, we don't really know how old Moses was. Some translations say when he was weaned. Now, uh, that could have been three or four years old. Uh, someone suggested this week that I was, that I was reading or listening to that, that it may have been 10 or 12 years old. I, I don't know how old Moses was, but, but here's what I know. Moses was old enough And Moses got enough from Amram and Jochebed in his heart that when Moses turned 40, he could look at the world and say, thanks, but no thanks, I'm going to follow God. Now, the question we need to wrap our minds around is what's happening in my house and what's happening in your house? Are our kids and our grandkids, are they getting enough while they're little So that when they are grown up, they can say no to the world and yes to Jesus. And that's the question. How are the rhythms in our homes? How are the rhythms in our family? And how is that working out? And so uh, the the fact is, life's about choices. And, And sooner or later, sooner or later, our little boys and girls and your little grandbabies and, and, and grandsons and granddaughters or great-grandsons and great-granddaughters, well, whatever the case may be, sooner or later, they're going to make a choice. Because life's about choices. I mean, that's what life's about. I mean, some good choices, some bad choices, but I mean, we just, we make decisions, we make choices, and, and they kind of shape our destiny. Uh, you may remember some, well, I don't know if anybody remembers this. We've read about this. In 1920, in 1920, the ownership of the Boston Red Sox decided to sell Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Ten out of the next 12 years, Babe Ruth hit more home runs than the whole team of Boston Red Sox. For 86 years, the Red Sox were under what they called the curse from selling Babe Ruth. I mean, that, it was, it was, it was a, I guess it was a business decision. It's just a bad one, right? They say that in, uh, and I read this this week, that in 1938, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel sold all their rights to a comic book character for 130, for $130, they sold the rights to a comic book character. You, you know what his name was? Superman. That was not a good choice. That was, here's another one. In 1955, Sam Phillips, no relation, at least to my knowledge, Sam Phillips sold to RCA Victor Records his exclusive contract with a young singer named Elvis Presley. And he forfeited all the royalties to probably a billion records. Probably not a good choice. But listen, life's about choices. And, and our kids are going to grow up and make, listen, we make choices. And the question is, are, do we, is there enough in here, in our heart, so that when the time comes, we make the right biblical choices? 
Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us Moses made at least three, and I'm just going to summarize into three because we preachers like three, and it just you know that's probably all we got time to look at is three. But but he made he made three choices that we all got to make a choice about. You are not exempt. I am not exempt. Our kids are not exempt. Our grandkids are not exempt. Nobody is exempt. Nobody who wants to follow Jesus is exempt from these three choices. The question is, are we creating an environment at home where we have enough in their heart to where uh, they make the right choices? And so do they have an, or do we have enough? Are they going to have enough in their heart to say no to three things? And let me just tell you what they are. First of all, if you notice there in verse 24, Moses said no. He said no to the prestige that the world measures. He said no to the prestige that the world measures. I mean, we're talking about power and position and pride. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was the grandson of Pharaoh, the grandson of the king. And and uh, J.C. Ryle said this. He said, a man will go just so far as he believes. A man will go just so far as he believes. And, and Moses, when he had grown up, Believed enough to say, to say no to the power and the prestige of being the grandson of the king. Now, some scholars suggest, and in fact, let me just say this. I think it was Phil Newton who said that for 40 years, Moses lived in the court of Pharaoh. He had all the worldly privileges possible in that era. Uh, some historians suggest that that every imaginable desire was lavished upon the royal family. I mean, he had the finest education possible. That's what it tells us in, in uh, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. He dressed in the best clothing. He ate the finest food. If some scholars are correct, he was probably in line to be uh, the king of Egypt and over the whole in- empire, but at the very minimum... He was going to be the grandson and, and ultimately a regent in the most powerful nation on earth. And, and, and the question is, would we give up something like that to follow Jesus? Uh, would we be willing to give up that kind of power, that kind of prestige, that kind of position? Because the world says don't give it up. I mean, if, if you don't believe that, I mean, during the political campaign... We, we are witnessing the links that people will go to try to gain prestige. I mean, you see the, the, the millions of dollars that people spend. You see how they will compromise their character and how they will attack and how they will, you know, uh, I may be wrong here, but I think beg, borrow, and steal to get whatever. I mean, they'll do anything to try to get elected. Because there's something about, there's something about prestige. There's something about power. That, that, that is just in us. In Moses, it was all there for him. I mean, he had it. And he said, no. And so do we have, do we have that in our faith? Do we have that in our heart? Do, do our kids have that to be able to, to when, when the prestige of the world comes, do they have what they need to say no? Now you might be thinking, Pastor, man, we're, man, we're never going to be the king of Egypt. Man, I don't, I dare say, none of us are ever going to be have an opportunity to be president? I don't think. I mean, if you do, have at it, but who would want it, right? I mean, who would want that? But, but there's just some things, I mean, the world, the, the world may not want us to have the prestige of being, being a ruler, but the world says, man, you, you need to wear the right clothes if you're going to have the right prestige. The world says you, you need to live the right kind of lifestyle. 
You need to have the right size house or you need to drive the right kind of car. Or you need to run in the right circles. I mean, the world just says, I mean, there, there's, this, this, there's this pressure by the world that says, hey, if you're going to fit in, you, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to look like. This is what you need to act like. I mean, the world just kind of pressures us to conform. I've got a friend that has a flip phone. And he says, you know what? He says, I'm not. You know, the world says you've got to have a smartphone. He says, I'm not having a smartphone. He says, I'm keeping my flip phone. Now, hey, got a witness there. Man, I, I, 1998, I thought the coolest thing in the world was a flip phone. I couldn't wait to get one. You know, you just, you know, to get there. Well, now, you know, but, but hey, I, I've moved on. I guess I've succumbed to the pressure, if you will. But I mean, but I mean, the world, just, I mean, the, 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 the culture wants to shape us. And yet Moses was willing to say no to the prestige that the world measures. For him, it was ruling the world. For us, it's to dress right, to have the right kind of phone or or to drive the right kind of car or to hang out with the right people, to go to the right places. And and so we've got, listen, if we're going to have the right rhythm in our family, if you're going to have the right rhythm in your spiritual life, we've got to be willing to say no to the prestige of the world. Secondly, not only did Moses say no to the prestige the world measures, but notice that he's willing to say no to the pursuit of the world's pleasures. Look at verse 25. He said no to the pursuit of the world's pleasures. It says, choosing rather, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. As the grandson of the king, I suppose that Moses could have any pleasure he wanted any pleasure. Remember, King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, and we're not going to go there. But in Ecclesiastes 2, he goes through kind of a list. And one of the things that he said, he said, I spared my heart no pleasure. Now, why did he do that? Why could he do that? Because he was a king. And he was the king. He could have anything he wanted. He could have anybody he wanted. That's why he had 700 wives and 300 concubines or whatever. I mean, he wasn't joking. He said, I didn't, you know, he wanted a new girl every week. I mean, he had a thousand wives and concubines. That's 20 years worth of a new one every week. God, I mean, I need to be careful. How, how wise was he? You know, that's what I'm, but I mean, listen, when you're the king, you can have anything you want. But, but Moses, listen, he had grown up and he understood, listen, the pleasures of sin, the pleasures of sin are fleeting. They don't last. Now, listen, when it comes to our kids and our grandkids, listen, don't, don't try to teach your kids that sin is not fun. Sin is fun for a while. For a while. For a season. But, but Moses understood that that pleasure turns into pain sooner or later. There's just consequences 
Because it's a fleeting pleasure. And by the way, the reproach, choosing to follow Jesus and to suffer or bear reproach or to be mistreated for Jesus, man, it, it's a fleeting thing too. But it's such a, such a dichotomy or a paradox. With sin, you get all the joy on the front end and the pain comes later. And the consequences come later. With following Jesus, you get the difficulty on the front end. But listen, uh, all the blessings come later. Moses understood that. And what we've got to do as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas is we've got to get enough in our kids. First, we've got to get enough in our heart. And then we've got to get enough in our kids' hearts so they understand that, listen, remember the old, anybody remember the old uh, Fram oil filter commercial that says, says you can either pay me now or you can pay later. I'm dating my age right there, right? It's been 20-something years. But you can pay now or you can pay later. If you play now with sin, you're going to pay later. Moses understood that. So what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to teach our, our kids, uh, to say no, uh, to sin because our culture, listen, uh, Dr. Rogers said this. He's so right. He's, he, he, he said we are in such a hedonistic society. I mean, it is such a sex saturated, alcohol-soaked, sin-crazed culture. It is, it is unbelievable how much our culture glorifies sex and just fun and just ridiculousness. But, it, but it's out there. I mean, it's everywhere. And so we got to teach them to say no to the pleasure of the world. But, but I need to go ahead and say this. Sometimes for the follower of Christ to say no to the world's pleasures, it's not always talking about saying no to sin. Sometimes it's, it's saying no to the good things or to too much of the good things so we can say no to the best thing. I mean, recreation is a good thing unless it's too much. I mean, exercise is a good thing. Fitness is a good thing in, in, unless it's too much. Ho- hobbies are a good thing in, unless it's too much. I mean, I mean, listen, God wants us to enjoy life. There, there's no question about that. But to say no to the world's pleasure sometimes means, I mean, I mean... Ice cream. I mean, too much ice cream. I can't believe I said that, but too much ice cream. And I think I've had too much this weekend. But, but, but sometimes to say no to the pleasures of the world is to say, you know, this is good and, and I'm going to do a little bit of this. But I'm going to focus on following Jesus. So they've got to have enough in their heart to say no to the prestige the world measures. They've got to have enough in their heart to, to, to say no to pursuing the world's pleasures. But I want you to look thirdly at verse 26. Not only that, but Moses said no to piling up the world's treasures. He said no to, to piling up the world's treasures. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Um, the, the word considered kind of esteemed. In other words, he, he gave some great thought to the idea. That's the concept. Now, you, you, we may wonder why he did that. Well, I, I read, I did a little research. King Tut, I can't pronounce his whole name. I think he was the 18th dynasty or, or whatever. Uh, King Tut came along about a hundred, 150 years after the time of Moses, about 1330 BC, some, somewhere along in there. When they, when they found his treasure, uh, one article said that it was valued at, at 15 million. So when it says 
Moses considered the riches of following Jesus as greater than the treasures of Egypt. He didn't just say, well, a couple hundred bucks. Moses thought it out. And he decided, I'd rather follow Jesus and the things of God. Because I know there's a treasure in heaven. And so what we've got to do is we've got to learn how in our own life to, to, uh, to, to say no to, to piling up the world's treasures. Now I'm not talking about saying no to money and I'm not talking about saying no to wealth per se because listen, you, we got, you, you got to have money to eat. You got to have money to put gas in your car and to, and to do all these things. Listen, it, it's not the money. It's, it's the, it's the love of money. It's the piling up and the hoarding of wealth. It, it, that's the issue. I mean, we all got to have money. That's money makes the world go round. But Andy Stanley made this observation. He said, he said, we celebrate generosity. We celebrate generosity, but we envy accumulation. We celebrate, but we think it is awesome when people are generous. I mean, go to, just think about this. How often when we go to a funeral, the person that's lived a, an upstanding life, oftentimes their, the comments are about how generous they are. We celebrate that. But when it, but when it comes to life, we like to, we like to hold on. That's the tendency. I mean, you learn it right here, way down here. I mean, before a baby's able to talk, they learn how to grab a hold of stuff. I mean, by the time they're able to say some of their first words are, I mean, it don't take a baby long to learn, mine, mine. And they take their toy and they'll go, mine. And then they'll come get their buddy's toy and they'll go, mine. And they'll, they'll just build a pile. It's mine. It's in our nature. It's in our nature. And so, and so if we're gonna, listen, if we're gonna have family rhythms that are spiritual, then what we've gotta do is, is we've gotta teach to the standard that you say no to piling up and hoarding and living for the treasures that the world has to offer. And so if we're gonna have balance, if you're gonna have balance, if I'm gonna have balance, then, then we, if our family's gonna have balance, then, then we gotta be able to say no to the prestige. We gotta be able to say no to pursuing the pleasures. We gotta be willing to say no to piling up the treasure. We gotta be willing to say no to some of those things so we can say yes to Jesus. Now I don't know if you noticed this, but those three no's, those, those three temptations, same ones that the serpent brought to Eve. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, in the pride of life. What was in the garden was in the palace of Egypt. And what's in the palace of Egypt is in my house and yours. The temptation to satisfy the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So how? So how did Moses deal with that? How did he deal with that? Look at the end. I think it's verse 26. I have the wrong verse in my note, but I think it's the end of verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the, the treasures of Egypt. Now look at this. 
for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Oh, one, one pastor noted uh, the word look or looking is to keep one's attention fixed on something as an artist fixes his attention on the object or model that he's producing or painting or sculpture. Now, some of you may remember this. Um, the Apollo 13, uh, that the mission of the Apollo 13, to conserve power, they had to shut down uh, the onboard computer that steered the aircraft. Yet at the same time, they needed to conduct this, this experiment, a 39-second burn of the main engines. And so the question was, how, how do they steer with the computer shut down? And Jim Lovell determined that if, if they could look out their little window and keep a fixed point in space, if they could keep that point fixed out this little window and focus on this little point, they could manually steer the ship. Do you know what the point was? It was the earth. It was their destination. And they understood if we can keep our focus on the destination, we can drive the ship where we are. What a principle for you and me as families. What a principle to build into the lives of our boys and girls. If we can get them to focus on the destination, where they're going to be and where they're going to go, it'll help us to steer the ship. Listen, so the question is as a family, the question is as an individual, but also as a family, what, what is your focal point? When you look out that little window of your life, what is it that you're, what is the destination that you're focused on? Paul said this, go with me to, to Philippians chapter three, real quickly, Philippians chapter three. Listen to what Paul uh, wrote to us beginning in verse 12. He says, he says, talking about, uh, following Jesus. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. <laughs> One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, I'm focused on Jesus. I'm focused on Jesus. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, what was what, your family focused on? What, what is it that we're focused on? What is our goal for our life and our future? I, I, I wish I had this verse last week. Uh, Malachi 2.15. Uh, you really need to see this in your Bible. Uh, go to Matthew and turn left. It's right there. Matthew 1, turn left. You'll be at Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. L- listen to what he says. I'm just going to read. Um, he's talking about marriage, but... But, but let me just read verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Why does God not want uh, us to, to, to not be with her, uh, have favor with the wife? Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now listen to this statement. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Talking about the husband-wife relationship. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And, and what was the one God Seeking. I want you to underline this in your Bible. What was the one God seeking? Look at this statement. Godly offspring. Godly offspring. Now let me set this up before I make this statement. 
Uh, I'm a sports junkie. I like to watch it. I like to play it. I enjoy it. I like to read about it. But we, not only are we in a sex craze culture, we're in a sports craze culture. I mean, we, we, it is. And when it comes to the family, and when it comes to the family and sports, man, the, the, the culture wants all of your time. They want all your investment. And they want, they, they want our money. And the, the culture screams, if you're a parent and your kids are involved in sports, the culture screams at you, this is most important. You need, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta practice more, you got to play more, and you got to pay more. And the culture screams to that. I heard a pastor say this in, in, in November, and I went back and I listened to it again. This, this is an, listen, mom and dad, this is worth the price of today. Here's what he said. As parents, he says, you are not responsible to produce athletes. You are responsible to produce godly offspring. We are not responsible to grow athletes. We're responsible to grow godly offspring. And, I mean, now, athletics in and of itself, man, it is not bad. And neither is other extracurricular activities because I got one, not just in athletics. I got one in the band. One's in band and athletics. But the culture is screaming at the family. We want your time as much as we can get. And if we're going to have rhythm, spiritual rhythm in our home, we've got to be willing to say no. Because I'm telling you, listen, some of you are not going to like this. But when we take our kids out of God's house and away from God's people for 20 or 30 weeks a year to, to do this stuff, because the world says, hey, you got to do this stuff on Sunday, we're sending a message to our kids that this is more important than Jesus. Because you know what? You know what our kids are going to take to heaven with them? There's going to be Jesus and the community of believers. That's it. So what are we teaching our kids? Because the world is crying at us and saying, hey, we want your time. Man, when I was growing up, they didn't touch Sunday. The world, they didn't touch Wednesday. I, when I played football, we loved Wednesday. You know why we like Wednesday? Because at 525, the whistle blew. You were done. Because if you wanted to go to church... You were out of practice. Now, not only do they not touch Sunday, they take it. I, last summer, I got a letter. My daughter was going to high school, going to be in the band, got a letter for the fundraiser. Most important fundraiser of the year. Need volunteers. Starting 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Burn, man, it just, I got, I was so frustrated. You know, and, and it, 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 but here's what I realized. You gotta hear this. The world is growing athletes and musicians and scholars and leaders and all these things. It, nothing wrong with that. But God's called us first to grow godly offspring. 
And if we don't make Jesus a priority, and if we don't make the things of God a priority, the world is going to sap our time and they're going to sap our resources because they've got a different vision than we have. And Moses, listen, Moses was able to say no because he looked to the reward. And we've got to learn to teach our kids. There's some things that are just more important, and it's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I I pray this morning, Lord, I pray for me as a dad, as the head of my home, as the one responsible for setting the tone and direction, uh, setting the family rhythm at my house, the one responsible for keeping my home in spiritual rhythm. And God, I, I, and, and God, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that, that, that we shouldn't do things and enjoy things and our kids shouldn't play and, and be good in athletics or music or, or uh, scholastics at all. But when it comes to who's first, Jesus, you've got to be first. Colossians 1.18 says, 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 in all things, God, you've given him the supremacy, first place. And so I, just, I, I pray. I pray, God, for our, for our families. Because I know it's hard. It is hard to know when to say no and when to say yes and what to allow and what not to allow. But, but Father, at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the life, what matters what's going to heaven with us and with our kids our relationship with Jesus and our community of believers so it stands to reason that in this life we we need to make sure we invest in the the things that are going to last the longest and so I pray for every mom and dad God I pray for every grandparent every great grandparent that you would stir our hearts And you would inspire us to cultivate a life of faith and a life of commitment so we can say no to the prestige the world measures. We can say no to to the pursuit of pleasure. We can say no to, to just piling up the treasures and say yes to Jesus because he's the one that lasts forever. So, Father, would you minister to and stir our hearts this morning? Lord, I pray for each family. I encourage them. I pray that you work in their life in a great and awesome way. And I pray in Jesus' name.